0: You want me to remove the lock on the OS, right? For starters, but I imagine you're capable of doing many other things. What do you mean? For example, you could analyze this machine's design and build more like it. Or
1: perhaps you could even come up with a weapon that's effective against this type of mobile suit. Look, I'm nothing more than a civilian student. I'm not a soldier and I'm not some military contractor.
0: There's no reason why I have to do any of those things.
1: But you're already a traitor to your fellow coordinators, are you not?
0: (gasps) Me? A traitor?
2: Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy.
1: I'm Tyler. And I've been banished to the far side of the moon. My name is Zach.
2: Yeah, well, you can hang out with Rita Repulsa and Dracula and those other
1: characters we've discussed. Actually, I think I'm winning this one. Who out... Wait, between Rita Repulsa and Dracula? It's the other characters. Oh, wait. No, hang on. That guy's got to be there.
0: Crap! Who else is on the moon?
1: You'll find out later. Gundam Seed Destiny has an ending,
2: and I've joked about writing a fanfic with Dracula, Rita, and some characters (laughs) that end up on the moon.
0: (laughs) Okay, so this is actually a thing that you and Zach have discussed before.
2: Huge Gundam Seed fans might be able to intuit if they've seen Destiny. So today we are going to be watching episode six of Gundam Seed, The Vanishing Gundam. Before we get to that, though, we've gone through five episodes, which, as we've discussed before, if this show had gotten a proper traditional Konami run, like all the Gundam series in America before it, that would be one week. So I want to talk about where we are after one week a little bit. Mostly right. with Tyler, since he has never seen this before.
0: Man, that last episode. It's good. Jeez. Also, as a weird aside,
1: or that would have been the last episode on a disc.
2: Yeah, that's true. If you got it. in old people discs. <laughs> Which I Hi! think is the only place you can get it. I don't... Actually, the HD would have had to be re-released. I'd imagine you get more episodes per disc
0: on that, but I don't know. The initial one was five episodes per disc. You know, I always used to complain about that. Then I remembered media is large and takes up a lot of space. And 5 is actually pretty generous. Yeah, it is, actually. So I, I complained about that less now than I used to. So
2: Tyler, what do you think of it after 5 episodes? That last one was great, obviously. It's kind of been one story arc, too, so this is like a good time to reflect.
0: It has been generally great. Having watched enough of the original Gundam, I can see very strongly the parallels of the original series, but everything about this is better.
1: But the bigger <laughs> question kind of is, After the first five episodes, would you continue watching if it was just coming on TV every day at a certain time?
0: Oh yeah, I'm genuinely invested in the survival of the Archangel at this point. I would like to continue watching.
2: So, in the first episode, we had you guess how long certain characters were going to survive.
0: Oh man, I was so wrong.
2: <laughs> uh, did we do that for Isaac Diarca and Nickel? I think we did, but I'm not sure. Since I pretty can't minor remember, in there. I know
0: Rusty was on the list. We did
2: so
1: <laughs> I don't think we did because they hadn't actually joined the cast as their own characters just yet. Because
0: it was in the first episode and they had been barely referred to by name. I think their names all came up once.
2: I'm not even sure they did in the first episode. No, I,
0: I know that Diarka did,
2: at
1: least, because Izak asks Diarca how's yours? <laughs> how's <true>. yours?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a little undercooked. could he use a bit longer in the fryer.
2: So we talked about them a little at the end of last episode, but that was such a dense episode, I'd like to talk about them a little more. First up, Nickel, you said he was kind of like the Catra of this group.
0: Mostly it's his character design and also the fact that he's kind of a interpersonal pacifist he's mediator. Sort of like- He's certainly not an actual pacifist because he's out killing guys all the time, but he seems to be, as Zach said, the mediator of the group. Nonsense. He's He's totally a pacifist. He just doesn't actually understand what the word means. He seems non-confrontational is the big thing, and that is the strongest. Between that and the blonde hair and the giant, vaguely feminine face that he has draws a lot of parallels to Katra for me.
2: Totally fair. I just wanted to ask you to elaborate about it. We also talked about Izak and Diarka and how they're kind of Blue Oni, Red Oni.
0: They so are. But we didn't
2: really explain that. And I realized I've read that trope like a hundred times, but I've never really understood it. But I've always had in my head, oh, it's Diarka and Izak.
0: <laughs> so it's a common thing to have a character who's, they're not necessarily opposed to each other, but they're opposed to each other in terms of personality. If you're familiar with the five-man band trope, commonly the leader and the lancer will be Red only Blue Oni. Uh, it's generally blue oni is the guy who's cool, dispassionate, and quiet. They generally come across as an introvert, and red oni is hot blooded, generally really eager to get stuff done, and generally come across as an extrovert.
1: Oh, okay. Like, so it's fire I, and ice. I didn't even realize that was a th- actually a trope
0: thing. I thought you guys were just talking about that because of like some kind of folklore that you guys were familiar with. It is actually based off of Japanese folklore is where the name of that trope comes from. It used to be called Fire and Ice before they renamed it 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, remember when it used to be the Krillin?
0: (laughs) The Krillin.
2: And the Vegeta. Man, TV tropes used to have better names. Inside jokes are way better than explaining things and letting everyone understand what we're talking about.
0: What's the Vegeta now?
2: Oh, that's the heel-face revolving door. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's someone who can't decide what side they're on. Like a certain character in Gundam Seed.
1: Oh, I got you. No, my mind when you said heel-face revolving door was Somebody being kicked in the face through a revolving door. <laughs> that
2: would be pretty good, too. Again, that kind of describes that character in Gundam Seed.
1: Because that sounds like an action. Actually, that sounds like a clue yeah, I was answer. Going to say, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's anime clue, right? <laughs> Although, I think it was this guy with the heel to the
0: face through the revolving door. Heel seems too bland. Isn't it giant novelty mallet pulled out of an improbably small bag?
2: No, heels are deadly weapons. Who else can
0: wield them. That is true.
2: Uh, speaking of girls, I also said that one of Gundam Seed's goals was to draw in a female audience and have more female characters. How do you think it's doing on that? Because I've kind of noticed, I don't think Gundam Seed has passed the Bechdel test yet. And it that's, has not. And that's not the be-all, end-all of tests about feminine characters, but Captain Ramius is there, but she hasn't really done much. Mostly she's listened to Mu mansplain the situation they, to
1: her. I, well, I was thinking, to be fair, if her and Badgeril had any conversations. Yeah, about, I was I think gonna say of it has. most the conversations that they've had so far have revolved around Kira being, uh, about not a Kira. Soldier. Yeah. They have
0: had a single conversation about manning the ship before they knew Kira had the Gundam. That was okay. before they got um, the ship out of the Hainer, and they had a conversation no, with each other, with no one else. No,
1: um, because... Not about man. Ramius wasn't in contact with Badrul when they are bringing the ship out of the Hanera. Oh yeah,
0: you're right. No, it was she Badgeril, uh, an unnamed ensign.
1: Actually, I think he's got a name. He does. I can't remember. I can't but remember the his name right now.
0: And that wouldn't have passed the yeah. test. So, yeah, no, it really hasn't. Although, from my high school experience, a lot of the things that drew girls to Gundam Seed is the potential romance between the Gundam oh, yeah. pilots. And because... I definitely
2: knew girls who liked that. And, you know, like I said, Kira and Atherin are sweating and yelling each other's name. The Arcade and Isaac, <laughs> you don't have to do much to write a fanfic about. Is that not canon? I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's canon. Well, we'll see as it goes on. But also, the three main female characters, if you want to call them that, Kigali's shown up for one episode.
0: She honestly seems like the coolest of them, but she's not there, so.
2: Flay has basically been yelling and screaming while in a tumbling ship. And Lacus hasn't shown up
0: yet. Oh, what? Not Mariaria? Yeah.
2: Mariaria isn't really a main character. She's also there, but she's an extant character. She's sort of, I don't want to say she's attached to the tall at the hip, because I don't really believe that, but Kira's friends almost operate like a unit.
1: And she kind
2: of gets- They kind of have to. to.
1: When they move into the bridge, they kind of become absorbed into just part of the bridge crew, as opposed to being like their own major players. They all have their one or two episodes where they do something after they become that, but for the most part, they just end up being the bridge crew.
0: That's fair. Honestly, it's such a huge cast already.
1: That's true. Kira and Mu have got to do most of
2: everything, and Athern. And I guess Rao. We're on at least 9 to 10 characters.
0: I feel that like Rao hasn't actually this point. done much.
2: He's mostly been a foil for Mu, right? And maybe manipulated Atherin a bit?
0: He seems to have been mostly reactionary thus far, not actually making active decisions. He started the whole series off by being active. Technically, but he doesn't seem to be making the actions. Amb- the ambush? The Gundam pilots seem to have done more than he has in terms of moving...
1: Huh? Do they? They never actually seem Characters. to fix his high, high mobility gin. Nope. Because he, doesn't
2: n- <laughs> really does anything in it. That was the last thing I was going to ask before we go on to the series. How do you think Rao compares to Shar? Because obviously they've sort of split up the Shar role a bit between him and Athern. As a Shar clone, what do you think of him?
0: He's actually one of the better ones I've ever seen. He's kind of an anti-Shar, which is weird. He's a lot less attached to duty, it seems, or at least a lot less attached to the chain of command. He's a lot more hands off, I guess, just in general.
2: Because he's got four strapping young lads to pilot Gundams for him.
0: Exactly. It's weird to see a Char clone in an active command position as opposed to I'm out there killing people I think and I commanding. I wouldn't
1: say that he falls into an active command role. I think he actually would fall under more of a rear echelon command role because he doesn't actively participate when in combat. That
0: is true. Oh, I mean, it's hard to command other people while you're in the middle of combat, right?
1: We see it later, but right now he's just kind of chilling on the bridge of the Gamow. Uh, he's is the he... Gamma, or is he on the other one? He's on the Versalius.
0: The, Fris- the Versalius. He seems a lot cooler than a Char tends to be.
2: Do you mean that in like, oh man, this guy is so cool? No, Or personality. In calm and
0: collected? Calm and collected. He's more blue than he is red in this, and I... that's kind of weird for me to see. I, I don't know. Zex is pretty blue from Wing.
2: His first line is shoot it down, and then he's like, I'm going to get in my Leo and go fight that guy.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I forgot I that, like, that he... I, I need a
2: cooler, more G-Forces mobile suit so I can <laughs> fight this guy. I
1: forgot that he immediately, after his horribly translated line, jumps in the Leo and goes after the Wing Gundam. What I meant train. was he's pretty cool and collected throughout most of the series. Well, even Char is until Lala dies. But, like, this one
2: is very detached, I think, more what it is. I think that's the biggest thing, is
0: he is detached from direct interaction with the Gundam pilot, or with main character Gundam pilot. That does make a lot of sense. Which makes him feel a lot more cool than, well, not, like, awesome cool, but...
2: He has bigger fish to fry than Kira and the Gundam. Than some teenage boy...
0: Meanwhile, Char's, like, actively trying to deter Amuro from doing anything ever constantly, and he's the actual person doing it.
2: Well, then Char has those ulterior motives he's often working on. That is true. And we haven't seen Rouse yet, if he has them.
0: Which, of course he does. He's a Char clone. The only series that lacks enough subtlety to do that was G Gundam.
2: Okay, so I, I lied. A few more things. Where do you think the series is going in relation to what do you think Rouse up to, or just general? Do you have a guess?
0: I really have no idea. I mean, inevitably, it's going to end with some moral about naturals and, like, peace or something because (laughs) it's Gundam. I don't know, though. (laughs) I really have no idea where it's going. It seems like getting to Artemis seems like a stopping point. So, clearly, something's going to sabotage them or they're going to have to escape because the government's all like, Nah, we're going to take your ship, guys. I honestly have no idea where it's going, though.
2: That's what happens to the white base when they get to base. They're like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. Court-martial for all of you.
0: Is Jaburo the parallel?
1: No, it's nah. uh, Luna 2. Oh, okay. Jaburo is equivalent, and this is Alaska. I didn't even realize that the white base stopped someplace, but I haven't actually yeah. seen the I don't
2: recommend all the way through. That leads us to this episode, episode six, The Vanishing Gundam. What did you think of this episode, Tyler, before we get into it, just very briefly?
0: General impression was positive. It's... Not what I was expecting?
1: How about that? <laughs> Zach, what did you think of it on this watch? It's different. I mean, they, they use different tactics than what we've seen before, which does imply a level of intelligence that the enemy pods haven't seemed to, to exhibit before this.
2: Because the phrase I want to use for this episode is disposable. Last week, we were talking about how Gundam isn't really episodic how it's all continuing this one really just feels like an episode to me and it actually feels like it's from an old version of Seed back when it was more supposed to just be a remake of Gundam because it does just feel like a Gundam episode that they've adapted a little bit and I feel like Kira acts a little off model so to speak it's the first episode without Athrun or Rao and I think it's that worse is for their definitely presence. to its detriment. And I think you could use that to give more characterization to Izak, Diarca, and Nickel. And we get a little, but I don't think we get enough.
1: That's fair. There's a lot more to the I character like, that
0: we never see again. I feel like I think it was again. episode two or three actually felt kind of disposable to me in retrospect.
2: All right. Well, with that, we've kind of given it away. So let's go ahead and start the episode. If you're just joining us for some reason, our main character is Kiriyamato. He's a coordinator, which are genetically engineered super soldier people, basically who doesn't want to join the coordinator nation of Zaph and has ended up on a Earth Alliance ship through strange twists of fate and is forced to pilot their sweet super secret robot to try to protect his friends who are also stuck on the ship. The team has just evaded Zaph pursuit and made it to Artemis, an Earth Alliance base controlled by Eurasia, which is one of the giant super countries that makes up the Earth Alliance.
0: Which is not the faction they belong to. No, they belong to the Atlantic Federation.
2: Yes, the Atlantic Federation.
0: So, contrary to the previous episodes, this episode actually begins with a little bit of a recap of what happened the last episode. It's actually, I think, this last scene lifted almost verbatim.
2: Yeah, and it's also got some exposition from the narrator about the Artemis base, basically as a force field.
0: It's a really cool force field.
2: After the opening sequence, we see Eurasian troops with machine guns basically boarding the Archangel. The crew is sort of reacting, especially Kira and his friends
1: who are in the mess hall. I love how Kira
0: just like shoves his way in.
1: Those seem like really ineffective space combat gear. They're, They're very narrow and they don't seem to have a whole lot of armor on them.
2: I'm not sure if they're supposed to be combat gear or just space suits. Though I don't know why they would go in with space suits at all.
0: Especially given that they have live ballistics. They were in the hangar
1: bay. So I think it was supposed to be implied that they were already in the hangar when the Archangel was docking. So that would have meant that they would have been exposed to yeah, space. Yeah, And but- so you want to get them on board as quickly as possible. So then again, the, the ship would have already been cycled out. So yeah, the spacesuits seem... Useless. Well, not useless. Unnecessary. Unnecessary is the word I'm looking for, yeah.
2: So we see a bunch of guys with machine guns in the hangar and going on to the bridge and the inspecting officer is starting to explain things to the captains. Basically says, hey, it's standard security when a ship you don't recognize comes in to seize the fire controls and make sure that nothing can be done.
0: Which actually seems like pretty good protocol.
1: It's actually a fairly intelligent thing. You don't know who they are. They could easily be a ZAFT ship sent in there to sabotage your stuff. Full of Earth Alliance uniforms. (laughs) How hard would it really be to steal Earth Alliance uniforms?
2: After heavily damaging a ZAFT battleship,
0: yeah, although it they're could really be the committed to getting ploy. this thing out with a Mobius Zero. Yep, well, okay. Hey. been captured by Zaft, and then they use their secret new ship to infiltrate the enemy base from inside. I don't know.
2: So Moo, Maru, and Natarl are taken off the ship to explain the situation, and pretty much the entire rest of the crew is corralled in the mess hall, which a bunch of machine guns pointed at them.
0: The civilians look nonplussed.
2: At this point, it's just more shit, right?
0: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, their day can't really get any worse. So then we
2: cut to um, the basically base commander, who has a super evil accent in both the Japanese (laughs) and American dubs, who's while twiddling his mustache like, oh, so the Atlantic Federation was working on a secret project. Yes, weren't they
1: Worm Tongue? It would have been even better if he actually had a mustache. That's he, true. he does not. He's bald, but does not have a mustache.
0: I love his second in command's terrible hair, though. He's got like spiky clown hair. He just looks like Worm Tongue.
2: <laughs> so the officers come in, and the commander tries to be all chummy and like, Oh, welcome to Artemis! Yay, you're here!" They then cut to the mess hall. The students are asking the non commissioned officers what's going on, and they explain, "Hey, well, we don't have a friendly IFF." So apparently that's the problem, but then they speculate it might in fact be something else. Particularly the mechanic and the helmsman who have names: Murdoch and Helmsman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the mechanic in this has always seemed to me to be like the experienced non-com that exists in a lot of these. He doesn't seem to do a lot. He's from Final Fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> he's experienced. He's been around. He's gri- you know he's grizzled. He- he does his job, and usually he's like a mentor character to a less experienced character. I mean, that's the role that Murdoch seems to fill. But since Moo is also there, he kind of fills it as a
0: secondary thing when Moo's not on screen for reasons.
1: It comes up later. We see Murdoch doing stuff. He just hasn't done anything yet. But I always kind of liked Murdoch.
2: Yeah, he's a pretty decent minor character, which is, again, a strength of C. They characterize a lot of characters they wouldn't have to. And that means they need to take more episodes to accomplish what Gundam did. But that's fine. When characters die, it has more weight, and you want to see them succeed.
0: You care that they die.
2: So the commander confirms that, indeed, these are and Nataral Badgeral, and Maru Ramius, and he comments on having recognized Mu's record before. Calls him the Hawk of Endymion, which is the first time we hear that nickname for him. And they sort of reminisce about how they served at the same front, even though they never... Saw each
0: other. Is he actually Moo the Grey, recently become Moo the White?
2: Basically, they explain part of Moo's backstory. There was some sort of lost battle, but during it, Moo managed to take out five djinns by himself. Which would
0: make him an instant ace, according to current... It would probably make him an ace in the Gundam universe, too. That's probably what earned him a nickname. Yeah, exactly. Well, five kills is usually an ace, so I...
2: The commanders are explaining to him, hey, we have to go soon. But he's kind of trying to solve He's like, well, we can't resupply you right away. And even if we could, there's a Zaf ship right outside. And the commander's like, Zaf? <laughs> he basically says, hey, one Zaf ship is no threat at all. They show up all the time. We turn on our shield. We wait for them to leave. We turn off our shield. No biggie.
0: That seems like a colossal waste of power.
1: It seems like a colossal waste of power, and it doesn't seem like this would actually really benefit the Earth forces,
0: really, any, since it's purely defensive. It doesn't actually do anything. What if Zaft actually pulled the Gal strategy of just clustering all your ships on the edge of the border and waiting for the shield to turn off?
2: Well, later they say that it has no tactical significance, so they've just ignored it. So That's I, fair. So again, really, it just feels like it's here because in Gundam there was Luna 2, and they just took Luna 2 to an extreme woon 2 in Gundam is just a base they get to. It doesn't have a magic shield. And they're just like, hey, this is a whole base. One ship can't take us out. And of course, Char does. Here, they've really pumped it up and made it more extreme and sexier. Moo protests and is like, hey, they won't give up. They're going to attack. They're going to find some way. And he sort of dismisses them and has them taken to some kind of posh quarters. And he's like, yeah, hey, yeah, we'll talk to your superiors after they leave. And then we can figure stuff out. And Moo's like, hey, are we really this safe? And he has a kind of weird analogy about your being in your mom's arms. <laughs>
0: Which is not actually all that safe. Safer than not, I guess.
2: So, cut back to the mess hall where the NCOs are indulging in some meals.
0: Well, it raises the question, have you guys
1: ever actually gotten to eat this entire time? Like, actually sit down and eat where they're not being shot at? And They've somebody's ca- running over and giving them a coffee while they're trying to avoid I feel being hit? like it's hit? only
0: been a few hours since Heliopolis exploded, right?
1: They said the silent run would take them two hours, and they got cut
2: off, so... A few, and they seem to have time to sleep.
0: There was an instance where they got, they started
1: getting shot at, and somebody said, "I was just crawling into bed as they're rushing to the bridge." That's true. So possibly more time has passed than it seems like. I'm not sure why it never occurred to me, but they don't seem to ever have spacesuits on when they're in combat. No, you think and that's that would a make terrible a lot of idea. sense on
0: the bridge. Though to be fair, this is naval combat space anime. You can't wear a spacesuit because then you can't see your character's face. You never wear a helmet if you're a main character, Zack.
1: All the pilots beg to differ. Yeah. They all wear helmets. the Moose covers half his face. So,
2: Lieutenant is complaining about the treatment, uh, especially since they're being guarded by armed guards, even though it's a pretty nice room. And Moo pretty quickly intuits, well, they just don't want us to be on the ship. And he clearly kind of knows what's going on.
0: Well, it was clear he had his suspicions before they left the commander's room.
2: So then we cut to the Zaf shift where they're explaining, hey, it's a magic shield. They can't shoot us, but we can't shoot them back. Which Diarmaid calls a stupid invention, but obviously it's a magic defense shield. If it was on a tactical position, it would be pretty useful. But instead, it's on this random base, and we never see it
1: again. <laughs> yeah, like it would make sense to have something like that. It would obviously have to draw a lot of power, so you couldn't put it on an individual ship. But I mean, you could put that on every station, the moon, a bunch of stations, or you stick it on a dedicated shield cruiser
0: or something like that. Like that a, a, a ship, to the Archangel ship, for example. What? You, you could call it a Valkyrie class, because Valkyries are shield-bearers. You stick that on one of those things, and then... It defends you, your other ships? Yeah, it moves that to the
1: side, you fire the big-ass low hangar and then it moves back in the way, because clearly they can't punch through it. So, why did they, like, invent this thing, stick it on this
0: station in the middle of freaking nowhere, and then just not doing anything with because it? Because disposable technology, for the purpose of this episode, Zach.
2: Yeah, that's uh, why I kind of call this episode disposable. Mirage Coiloid, which is the other thing, that we learn about in this episode in a little bit. That gets used all the time in this series. Usually just long enough that you've kind of forgotten it was a thing. And then they'll come out with some cool new use for it. But this shield never comes up again. So anyway, Nickel, Izak, Diarca, and the captain of the Gamow are trying to come up with a plan. Diarka's like, well, we should just kick back, which Izak is very upset about, and he wants to do something.
0: How dare you be nonchalant? I love Izak's response, too. His mouth is just, like, gaping open. It's like, oh. It would or be a Diarka's total response. disgrace if we did nothing. Or, you know, intelligent. Well, that's why Izak is red and Diarka's blue.
2: And Nickel the Mediator starts speculating, hey, you know, the shield isn't on all the time, is it? Hey, I have a mysterious system on my new Gundam that might be helpful here. We should cut away from me now.
1: You would think, since Maru was actually working on these, that she, she would, know would know about the
0: System? didn't actually know the full-text specs of any of them. You'd think she Murdoch was in charge. Was oh, yeah. I always thought it was implied that Maru was actually in charge of the project. Okay, to be fair, though, do you know how much my bosses know about the stuff I work on? Like, nothing. At all. Being in charge and, does not mean but, you know but, everything well, and about And the fact that she you could feature- pilot
2: it. They give you a feature list to implement, right?
0: Uh, A lot of times they say, we want it to behave in this way, and then I make up all the features. Well, given that these were experimental pieces of equipment. Yeah, you would think they would
1: know. She would probably know know about what it could do. Or at the very least, as Jeremy said, Murdoch would know what it could do. I'm
0: trying to suspend your disbelief.
1: And I'm refusing to have it suspended.
2: I mean, I think the simpler explanation is it just slipped her mind. The guy didn't ask her, hey, what's a tactical readout on these things? Should we be worried? Uh, He's completely completely not concerned. He's like, ah, we're invincible. Nothing could possibly happen that might be bad.
1: That is true. They are so gung-ho to get to Artemis because of the shield in the previous episode that it seems odd that she would have completely forgot that this thing exists.
2: So the Gamow turns around and starts flying away, and as soon as it's out of range, Artemis turns off its shield.
0: Because presumably big power draw. Otherwise, they just keep it on all the time. Or it's because they can't talk to the
1: surface when it's on. Yeah, I could also see that. Because he did say in the previous scene... That when they leave, they would confirm their identities with their commanding officers.
2: But they already said they confirmed it. They said they would get in contact with them and ask what to do. Which comes
1: off to me as him just stalling. Well, I mean, after they leave. So I, I always figured that it was kind of implied that with the shield on, they couldn't talk to the surface. They at least have a database, though, because they say, hey, we've confirmed
2: that you are all who you say you are.
1: Yeah, but then when he asks what we should do, because he specifically mentions when they leave, we will do that. Yeah. Yes, he's stalling. I agree with you, but the fact that they say that makes it kind of sound like the radio waves also don't go through the shield. So Worm Tongue comes up to the commander. <laughs> <and> <laughs> that guy's. Oh God. And he's like, "Well,
2: analyzing the ship is going great, but there's some sort of lock on the OS, and we can't get through." <laughs> the commander is very upset about this, and you may remember last episode, Moo, Stranger Dangered Kira, and told them to put a lock on the OS so no one else could activate it. We then cut back to the Gamow.
0: Wait, really quickly, you know what the password for it is? Password? Atherin.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, not Flathrin. (laughs) Flathrin. (laughs) Flathrin. Yeah, I don't think anyone's written a Flay Atherin fanfic, so I don't know what that would be, but (laughs) Flay Ezak is strangely common. What? What? I actually kind of figured out why the last time I watched Gundam Seed. But yeah, they don't have a lot of interaction. So anyway, we cut back to the Gamow. Nickel's in the Blitz, and he's like, oh man trying out an untested system for the first time it's not like i could test it i just have to hope this will go all right and like i said
1: before it's called mirage colloid which is kind of a cool name his is the only one that's jet black when it's not actually got its system on
0: that's because of the colloid
1: zach it's also black when he turns on the
0: armor so yeah i don't actually so if anyone here is a chemistry nerd you would know that a colloid is a state of matter that is not quite liquid nor quite solid so, did they just choose a cool-sounding word in English? And They yes. might
2: have. My understanding of the way as it works is it deploys something around it that bends the light.
0: Okay, that makes sense. I'll believe that.
2: <laughs> okay, so then we cut to uh, Diarca and Izak, who are having a scene very similar to when they were talking about bombing Heliopolis earlier. It's a very brief scene, which is kind of too bad, because we get a little about them. Diarca is, again, talking about all the weird things the Earth forces come up with that are just useful defensively. And they kind of agree that it's perfect for Nickel because he's a coward.
1: (laughs) Although Because they're assholes. Well, yeah, they say he's a coward, but we haven't actually seen anything that would imply that.
2: Yeah, he volunteered for this plan. I think they're just saying it because they're still sore. He agreed with Atherin about the retreat. I think they're they're just trying to
0: ostracize him, basically. The whole coward thing
1: never made a whole lot of sense to me with what it can do. Because you get to go do a whole lot of fun stuff. And all's fair in Love and War, right? So the Mirage Collide, if you haven't figured it out, is a stealth system. Very similar to the Death Scythe
2: from Gundam Wing, if you're familiar.
1: Or if you're familiar with it, the ghosts from StarCraft. Yeah. Or, you know, any
2: cloak tech. It makes you magically invisible to radar, to vision, to everything.
0: It's like those one things from Star Trek. Birds of Prey? Yes, thank you.
2: The commander now goes into the mess hall. It's like, hey, who's the pilot?
1: And the mechanic who are standing in the same place.
2: Akira starts to get up and Murdoch pushes him down. And he's like, hey, why are you asking? The helmsman is like, why don't you ask our commanding officers? And he implies, oh, it must be because they didn't tell you. So what are you doing here? And Kira flashes back to... Us. Moo
0: telling him to put a lock on the OS. I was going to call it creepy Stranger uncle. Danger. But...
2: <laughs> and he's like, hey, yeah, you're all cool guys. Top secret project, yada, yada, yada.
1: Apparently they're all elite personnel, which the firefight at the... At the original <laughs> they're elite kind of in different
2: ways, Zach. <laughs> they're, they're criminally undermanned, though. Even if they are elite.
0: That is true. I love the kid playing basketball in the mess hall. Like, they're asking who pilots the thing, and somebody tells them it's Moo. Yeah, but he's like, it can't be Moo. We
2: monitored your battle and didn't help you at all because we're assholes. And we saw that the Mobius Zero was involved. And only Moo the Flaga could use those gun barrels.
0: Why can only Moo use those?
2: I'm not sure if we're supposed to take that literally, or if he's saying not just anyone can do
1: it. No one else on board the ship can possibly do it. Because but, it's so technically complex.
2: But as you know, in the Universal Century, funnels can only be used by new types. Yeah. And the directors have stated Mu and Rao are new types. There's not a word for that in SEED. That's so, fair,
0: because it's new.
2: Yeah, and because it wasn't the new type theory, and no one's really studied them because of coordinators.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, how do new types compare to coordinators? or new types the natural evolution to compete with coordinators? like
2: That's never really gone into, except in fan theories. And...
0: <laughs> fair enough. Aren't really Moo and Rao kind of the only ones? I mean... They're the only ones we see, as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, I don't want to get into spoilerish stuff, so yeah, we'll say
2: yes.
0: Wait, is Rao also a coordinator, though? Is that spoilery?
2: (laughs) I've always assumed yes. A lot of people say, no, he's not. He's just good enough to fake it. And I'm not sure that's ever supported by the text. Except for a lot of card games have him as a new type instead of a coordinator.
0: i say, if he's also a new type, then he's probably not a coordinator. Or there's some weird thing going on with him that could make him both.
2: Yeah, but new types are never mentioned in the series. It's entirely just word of God and saying, yes, if you've noticed that that was intentional, that's what we're implying. But that's just for old fans who realize what's going on. (laughs) Shifty ass Captain McGee. Yeah, so Shifty Eyes looks at Mirielia and grabs her and is like, well, I wouldn't make a woman a mobile suit pilot because I'm an asshole. But the captain of the ship is a woman, so hey. This incenses Kira enough that he finally speaks up, and he's like, oh, Mur- get, si- get serious.
1: And Mur- <laughs> Mur- Murdoch, throughout that, tries to keep pushing him down and, flam- and can't. Eventually. can't. I ha, get
2: serious, Buster Wolf! <laughs> exactly. Uh, then we get the eye catch. <laughs> Hey, it's me, Jeremy. Thank you so much for listening to episode six. A whole week and you're still with us? That's fantastic. I hope you're enjoying episode six of The Vanishing Gundam. At least I hope you're enjoying it more than we did since we found it to be pretty disposable. You know what's not disposable, though? Valuable prizes you could win from us. If you've been listening to our past episodes, you already know how to enter, but I wanted to announce that we are going to extend the contest a couple of weeks, at least until we can get the podcast onto iTunes, since Apple Podcasts is still having trouble. We haven't managed to do that yet. I'll announce when we're actually going to draw the winners, probably on next week's episode. But if you don't know, if this is your first episode, you can enter to win either a Freedom Gundam 2.0 model kit, a copy of Gundam The Oath ms Team on Blu-ray, or a copy of Gundam, the 08th MS Team on DVD. All you have to do is email us at gundam at lasttimeonvideogames.com. Tell us if you like the podcast, if you hate the podcast, what you like about Gundam Seed, what you hate about Gundam Seed, how cool the freedom Gundam is, and you will be entered. You can enter a second time and double your chances of winning by tweeting with uh, by tweeting about the podcast with the hashtag GundamPodcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at LTOVGundam. Or you can check out our website, lastpodcasts.com. That has links to our email, our Twitter, our YouTube channel, our Discord channel if you want to talk to us, as well as our other podcast, Last Time on Video Games, where we talk about old video games. So yeah, that about does it for here. We will see you next Monday with the next episode. Until then, I hope you have a good week. Bye. And he doesn't believe Kira, because get serious, kid. You're just some random teenager. You wouldn't
1: be the pilot. But no, the random teenage girl is a possible candidate. he's
0: just using her as a hostage to get the real person to confess, right? Like, everyone knows that.
1: Yeah. I just thought it was funny that, no, you can't possibly be because reason, and then the exact same reason is the one that I'm using to be an asshole.
2: So then we cut to the Gamow, which is launching the Blitz, and I want to talk about something I've kind of meant to for a while and not gotten around to, which is I really prefer the Archangel's standard catapult that, like, I has knee lock-ins to this one. I suppose this is supposed to
1: work with electromagneticism or something. Using it as it seems a seems like overly complicated means
0: to stick electromagnets on the front of it and hope it doesn't fry all it's your systems. It's more space efficient, actually. And railguns are actually insulated. They're a naturally occurring Tesla cage. or Not Tesla cage. Faraday cage? Thank you. Yes. It's a warship. Uh-huh. Assume battle damage. You
1: destabilize that Faraday cage, and if Battletech has taught me anything, railguns explode. If violently,
0: if it's destabilized, it just doesn't work anymore. You're running power through nothing at that point. I, at the very least, if it's destabilized, it's not working. Yeah. So you can't really launch anymore.
2: I kind of always assumed that the archangels uses a railgun too. It just also has the
0: physical launcher.
2: Yeah, I just never mechanical. figured out how this was supposed to work as a kid, and it's obvious to me now,
1: but it just doesn't seem intuitive. Because
0: magnets, good. how do those work? Exactly. <laughs> I always figured that it was
1: a pneumatic catapult on it the archangel looks less like cool, on the. Yeah, even like with... on our current aircraft carriers.
2: Yeah, I agree with Tyler, though. It looks us cool even with the cable that attaches to them. Nickel activates the Mirage Colloid and the gu- Gundam vanishes! He says he can only use it for 80 minutes, but in a combat situation, that's forever?
1: Yeah, 80 minutes is like...
2: That's four episodes of this show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, does the use of other systems dramatically decrease that time? I don't think they ever go into it. Because if he's firing beam weapons while also using it, that might... Decrease it from 80 minutes to like 5 minutes. Does he ever actually fire while cloaked?
2: A couple of times, but it's pretty rare, so probably. And the phase shift armor on the units definitely uses the same battery as the beam weapons, so it would make sense.
1: But 80 minutes? Yeah, that is an eternity in a combat situation. Yep. If you just need to
0: flank someone really quick, you win.
2: So Commander Asshole tries to punch Kira for being a brat, and Kira judo throws him down. And knocks him out. But she just knocks him down. He doesn't knock him
0: out. He looks unconscious at that point.
2: So Wormtongue comes up to uh, take him out. Psy tries to stop him, and he gets slapped straight into Flay's breasts. Direct hit. It's like an <laughs> achievement or something for Wormtongue to get the perfect strike. So Flay, now upset that her boyfriend is being harassed, says, Yeah, Kira's really the pilot, and he's a coordinator, so that's why. Which the Eurasian troops all sort of <laughs> accept, but are stunned by. And Murdoch is... Not real he's happy. Like, oh, and face you bombs. and your
0: big mouth, red-haired chick.
2: Tall is yelling at Flay right after as they're leading Kira away. Like, man, why would you do that? And I really like that Tall continually defends Kira and will get in people's faces about it. He really seems like he's like this shouldn't be a big deal. And Flay, to her credit, is like, hey, this is an allied base. Kira's our ally. It should work out. But Tall points out, dude, coordinator racism. For real.
1: Flay doesn't <laughs> seem to understand the situation they're in, necessarily. She does like, seem a she little seems, naive in general, she seems thus far. Th- both uniforms. You know, they're the same uniform, so they're clearly the same side. Well, have you not been paying attention? They're pointing guns at us. Clearly, we're not on the same side here, or at least there is a third side that we weren't availed, or weren't Politics knowledgeable in Heliopolis
0: of. must have been really nice.
1: Well, it was pretty idyllic until it started getting shot up.
2: Whatever the case, the government was willing to risk being found like this to get mobile suits. So, obviously, it can't be all sunshine and rainbows. It's you know, just the starting hometown where your little sister lives that has to be destroyed. So, it seems nice. So, the commander is like, hey, you can tell us about this mobile suit, but also, you could be useful for, like, for remaking it or for figuring out weapons to use against it. So, again, this is kind of playing off how Eurasia and the Atlantic Federation might not necessarily get along because they want weapons to be able to stop
1: this. And Kira returns with, uh, he's not a soldier. Or a civil
0: or a military or a mil- contractor. Yeah. Or a contractor. You know, this lack of shared information between the various factions of the Earth Alliance might be why Zaf's winning the war.
2: Also, this was a top secret project, right? It was a Need alliance with Heliopolis that is probably against some sort of international rule or treaty.
1: But this concept I mean, the, like... Well, the closest thing I can think of to compare this to would be the Manhattan Project. We didn't tell Great Britain or Russia we were working on the Manhattan Project.
0: That's fair, although we didn't also share a uniform with them. That is true. I feel like we were probably less unified.
2: And the Manhattan Project is perfect, because keep in mind, all Japanese media since World War II is about the nuclear bomb in some way, and Gundam (laughs) especially.
1: It is the super weapon that makes you unstoppable when you have it. I wasn't even thinking about that. It was just the most obvious example of a weapon that was not shared among allies.
2: So he points out that Kira's a traitor to coordinators, which is just kind of dawning on Kira. And he has some flashbacks to Atherne. It's to that nice romantic cherry blossom bird gift scene. (laughs) And I think it might be more appropriate to be to, like, just now when Athern was trying to grab him and take him and saying, if you don't come with me, I'll have to shoot you. But this is still effective.
1: Well, I think... In a way, in the heat of combat, I think. Yeah, that one's in the heat of combat. You're not thinking about it.
2: Well, I'm saying that's what he should flash back to. Not that that's when he should have realized it. Oh,
1: okay. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would make a bit more sense because then it would cause the whole if you don't come with me, I'll have to shoot you line make a lot more sense because at the time, it doesn't seem like Kira understood what Atherin was actually talking about.
0: In retrospect, that actually makes that is indicative, I think, of Kira's character because he's kind of a pansy.
2: Yeah, but also, keep in mind, Kira isn't a citizen of Zaft. He's not really betraying anyone except Athern, who is a personal friend of his. But
0: that's why he flashes back to the touching moment as opposed to the in the heat of battle moment. Of course, I could be reading way too much into that decision.
1: Also, I wouldn't call Kira a pansy. I'd call him incredibly naive. A pacifist at heart? Definitely Uh, that that. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense.
2: There's a reason he gets the Jesus nickname. So Kira says that he's wrong, and he's like, hey, calm down. A coordinator that sides with the Earth forces is going to be super valuable. they will be protected and stuff, even in Eurasia.
0: Which we're is apparently, we're dicks-a-coordinators. <laughs> kind of an
1: ironic line, considering
2: the rest of the series, I think.
1: But
0: You'll be treated well,
1: even though we're colossal dicks.
2: Kira takes it really personally, and it has to be the Atherin thing, right? Because like I said, he wasn't part of a coordinator nation. Atherin is really his only tie to other coordinators. That His we parents know of aren't that's coordinators. Hard. Well, but he doesn't show anything. It's kind of weird to me that he takes it so hard. Again, it seems like it's yeah, kind it, of from an older
1: draft. It, it does seem that way because I had never, I'd never thought mm-hmm. of that. Because as Jeremy's pointing out, Atheron's it. He's the only coordinator that he has contact with before this, So why does he seem to care because that there's Because he's Jerry's
0: deeply ba- in love with Atherin. Yes,
1: <laughs> and if you interpret it that way, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> but from the other side of things, if you're not going that route, which... Obviously, they're not trying to cover up very much on that kind of thing. Why is he so concerned with being called a traitor to a coordinator since he doesn't deal with them on a regular basis it does, anyway? It seems a little
0: out of character thus far. He but...
1: was never bragging about it. Like, his friends didn't know he was a coordinator
0: beforehand. Kira seems
2: really out of character in this episode. Protecting Mariellia makes sense. It's a little aggressive for him, but he was kind of pushed to it. Uh, it seems
0: a lot more Amaro,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, Very (laughs) Camille, actually. And it does also kind of play in with what we've seen of his character to this point. The whole reason why he got in the Gundam again was to protect his friends. That is true. That's just a logical extension of it. It's just more face-to-face.
2: So Kira gets in the Gundam. He starts typing or something with machine guns pointed at him.
1: That seems excessive. Because if you start shooting... He did beat up their commander. Well, if you start shooting at him in there, number one, you're going to lose anything that he might know. Number two, if a ricochet happens, you're going to shred that cockpit. That's true. It's psychological effect. It's not actually probably going to be fired.
2: So there's a nice slow scene of the Blitz creeping up on the base and then shooting and starting to attack.
1: Oh, there's a shot of the Blitz cloaked and firing.
2: So then there's this great line in the English dub where the commander's like, hey, what's going on? What are these tremors? And they're like, we don't know. He's like, well, I'm guessing they're explosions, (laughs) which is kind of amazing.
0: Clearly, the Gundams have a lot more firepower than I was originally giving them credit for. Because this base is an asteroid. How is it even damaging it? I think it's implied it's actually shooting exposed defense points. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's my interpretation. Because I think
1: in a bit there's actually a shot of it
0: nailing a defense port the or something. The visuals it gave us just now were of the Stan- shooting rock.
1: It was <laughs> bog-standard anime explosions, yes, I know. So the
2: crew of the Archangel is like, oh, we're under attack. Uh, this is bad. And they kind of start to look at each other in that time to form a plan of action look. So yeah, the Blitz starts attacking the points for the defense shield as they start putting it up. It uses beam saber because reasons. It
0: is a cool shot, though. I really like its beam saber, too. So that helps. Oh, the Blitz is a really cool looking design. Apparently hitting one point was enough to disable the whole shield. Yeah, clear, okay, so Eurasia clearly does not include Germany. Well, actually, only includes Germany because no redundancy. <laughs> it's good German engineering at its finest. Perfect. Until you break the one piece.
2: My interpretation, we don't really see a bombardment, is that he just took out part of the shield, and it's enough for the other mobile suits to slip through. I don't think we see the gamma shooting Artemis at all. So anyway, the NCOs on the Archangel go up to their guards and like, Hey, what's going on? You don't even know? We're under attack. We need to do something and they start running past them, and they've got machine guns. So there's this really awkward scene of the entire rest of the crew and the <laughs> students just kind of dogpiling them, and it's just, there's something off about the animation. It just looks really It awkward. is
1: really, it, it looks like a scene, or
0: a, uh, an animation, a couple animation frames got missed. It actually looks to me like it should be from a cartoonier show, or like...
2: Like a comedy anime. Yeah. It is kind of a comedy beat, I guess, so maybe they just chose to animate it that way, but it's an odd choice.
0: Yeah, it does not fit well with the tone of the rest of the episode.
2: So the crew starts jumping up into the bridge and they start trying to activate the Archangel, get it ready for escape slash battle. Meanwhile, Moo feels the explosions and starts yelling about how there's a hole and that they're going to be dragged into the vacuum of space. And he tries to get Maru and Natarl to play along. Maru has a great scream. She goes full damsel mode, but Natara looks so uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, guys, guys, this isn't protocol. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. We're going to get in trouble, guys. (laughs) Judo chop.
1: Yeah, even more so when one of the guys comes in and Judo chops him (laughs) and then punches the other. It totally looks like an AI from some kind of video game in the fact that the first guy comes through, gets knocked unconscious, and then his buddy, who can see him get knocked unconscious, (laughs) walks after him going, what happened to you? What the hell do you think? You're like a foot behind him.
2: And again, we see the sort of Spock-Moo, or Spock-Moo,
0: Spock-Kirk-Bones <laughs> no, thing. where I'm know, okay replacing Kirk with Moo.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm Moo is super action, let's come up with a plan and punch people. Maru is like, yeah, that sounds good, and Natarl is like, highly illogical.
0: I'm so ready to play this game,
2: <laughs> especially I, given I, that we decided on that dynamic. I
0: think that scene... Makes this episode worth it.
2: I don't actually like it that much, but it is a good, funny scene.
0: I just like how flustered Nataro is with the whole plan of action.
2: So uncomfortable. Her friends are getting her in so much trouble. It's like they're talking in movie class, and they both only talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) That's an insane joke, people. Kira in the strike kicks someone out, the people out, and starts
1: closing the Yeah, that seems super out of character. And then he starts walking off.
2: Yeah, this is actually what I was referring to. He is, I don't want to say gung-ho. But he's immediately going into battle. And I don't know if maybe it's because he's in this super awkward social situation and wants to get out and
1: let off steam. But he's been so reluctant to fight this far. I'd rather be shot at than live in this awkward social situation anymore. To Risking fair, death above
0: social situation. I totally sympathize with that. Actually, yeah, I, I do too.
2: I do
1: too, which just seems slightly out of character, right? And we've had a bunch of stuff that's slightly off. Yeah, I mean, it would make a lot more sense if you got a radio call from, like, Moo saying, hey, we need you to go active now or Or something like that. Or like, Or anybody. on the bridge. Yeah, anybody else. But no, he's just, I'm going to kick this guy out of the thing. Which, by the way, it seems like they have gravity. (laughs) Yeah, it's just The commander is there, so he basically just kicked the guy about 50 feet through the air. And if he didn't, that guy's hanging on to the outside of the strike and hoping to God he doesn't fall off (laughs) or suffocate when he jumps into the vacuum.
2: So we see one shot of the ale striker. I'm not sure why. Maybe just to confirm it was picked up, in the manga, which did come later, this scene he actually equips the Sword Striker, but with the Ale backpack. Huh. But anyway, he equips the Sword Striker after a single shot of the Ale, and we see the Blitz destroying a bunch of Mobiuses because Mobiuses suck.
0: Except who's Mobius? It's Mobius Zero.
2: He finds the Archangel just as Kira launches, and the Blitz and the Sword Strike shoot their grappling hooks at each other. Is
0: that what those are? Yes.
2: (laughs) Where you are not sure. Spoiler, they never ever grapple onto anyone. (laughs) <laughs> they meet now. in midair and sort of knock each other down, which is a cool shot, but it's the grappling hooks not being very effective. And then we get a cool, almost stock-looking shot, but the background is different of the sword striker activating its sword and striking a cool pose.
1: I think they needed to do something with the, with the grappling hook, since like you said, it never actually grabs onto anything. It needed to grab onto like a gin or something at one point and actually get use. Or maybe
0: pull one of the mobile suits to a ship to hit it. Yeah, do something, That'd be nice. but...
1: In Super
2: Robot Wars, every time you use the Sword Striker's sword, he shoots the grappling hook, grabs whoever, get over, hears him, into the, <laughs> like, Miguel Slash he does. I think that's
1: actually what the Miguel thing is intended slash. to do, but we never actually see it work in the show.
2: Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. Actually, I
1: think there is one, there's at least one instance where the grappling hook works.
2: And there probably is, because that shot must come from somewhere. So, between Nickel and Kira, it's on, like, Donkey Kong. And we move over to the Gamma, which has just deployed the Blitz and the Duel. The buster in the duel. Yep. Blitz is already deployed. Yep, the buster in the duel, for sure. And Isaac and Derek are like, Yay, we get to be in this episode. <laughs> Meanwhile, Moo, Natara, and Maru reach the bridge.
1: Moo is like, Ah, oh, you did good job! Again, just being the cool of their older brother. Well, it seemed more like the uh, praiseworthy uncle-type character that he jumps in. Great work, kids. So gives so gives great. Them, like, <laughs> head rubs. <laughs> Moo is the
2: best. Kira continues fighting the Blitz. Mostly, they just sort of circle around each other, try slashing each other, but can't hit while Kira is flashing back to being a traitor, presumably being distracted? Or maybe this is just to show that, yes, he's just trying to work out frustration. That's why he did this. And he does scream in some frustration.
1: You know, it would seem like when you're using the sword striker, the Vulcans would be a lot more useful. Since it doesn't have a ranged weapon? Yeah. Yep. Other than that boomerang that he's not throwing. We did see what the like pylons, whatever you want to call them, on the underside of the Blitz's shield are. They're missiles. Yep. There's a cool shot of Kira chopping them in half with the giant sword. And it's pretty plain that Nickel is being overpowered. We get a shot of him in his cockpit.
0: So Kira's the better pilot.
2: Izak and Diarka are on the way in. They're shooting up a bunch of Mobiuses. One crashes into the command unit that's only covered by glass, and Commander Asshole dies. Oh, no. And going back to Kira being a better pilot than Nickel, that also might be part of why Diarca and Izak don't like him, because they're very clearly military-focused. Yeah. So... Diarka and Isaac start looking for Nickel and triumphant music plays as the Archangel gets really ready to take off with explosions surrounding them.
1: And apparently there is a harbor exit on the opposite side of where they're being shot at. So Kind of makes sense. It's probably just a hole in the asteroid that got converted. To be the, uh, the actual landing point in the harbor. There's
2: actually a really cool shot of the sword strike's thrusters as it goes in reverse and Nickel gets cut off by an explosion. Convenient. The strike lands on the Archangel in a cool pose. It would be useful if it was the launcher strike and it could be an extra artillery piece but <laughs> he just has to stand there where the
0: archangel takes off do they ever actually do that and use the launcher as an artillery piece yes that's awesome
2: what the buster was designed to do was to sit on the archangel and snipe basically Isaac and diarka arrive just in time to see the archangel getting away and presumably it's too fast for them
0: to follow it is a state-of-the-art military vessel
2: and presumably battleships are faster than mobile suits
0: I would imagine, otherwise everyone would just fly fleets of mobile suits everywhere. Except for that's really uncomfortable.
2: And clearly the batteries don't last long on those things.
0: That is They're true. Like,
2: you know, double A's. I
0: feel like I asked this last episode, but what powers the Archangel? Yes, yes, you did.
2: We had a discussion about it.
0: Okay, not nuclear is what we decided? Yes.
2: I actually looked it up since then, could not find an answer. It is powered by plot. <laughs> it
0: has 52 <laughs> missile tubes, though. That's cool. <laughs> That's a known value, but not what powers the damn thing. How many AA guns does it have? Thirty six, I think. It's got thirty six uh, That guns. sounds right. That, seems, that excessive. seems light. How big is the Archangel? Because I have a hard time judging the scale on it.
2: Yeah, I don't remember. I wanna buy an Archangel model, but it's not in scale with my Gundam models, so I haven't. Ah. Well, do they say how tall the uh, strike is? Yes, but I don't know it off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, because you can use that as a scale from the launch ch- tube to measure mm. the rest of the ship.
2: I know there are right stats on the size of the Archangel. I just don't know. So Kira is back in the docking bay. Moo is like, hey, you did a good job. And then Kira just brushes him off and goes right past him. And older brothers, Moo Mu and Murdoch, are like, hey, what's wrong with him? Uh.
0: <laughs> I like how Murdoch doesn't even get a line there. He's just like, uh, eh, shrug. Mm.
2: Kira goes to the bunks, which are, for some reason, no one's there. He just sort of collapses birdie is still here to everyone's trigon and a single tear rolls down his eye as he contemplates being a traitor
1: and the episode ends have I'm, we I seen birdie actually, you
0: since the first episode second at least the
1: second episode he was there because okay. that's how flay knew he was there um it actually would make sense that the bunks would be empty because they're still on running so the people i presume that he's sharing that, that that's true room with our tall Sai and uh the people you know, the people that he was shown in there originally with. Cuzzy, don't forget Cuzzy. It's oh, yeah. okay <laughs> if you forget Cuzzy. <laughs> actually, I think it's probably Cuzzy, sigh and Tall. Yeah, the probably. The that he's actually supposed to be sharing with. So those guys are all still on the bridge. So, yeah, that's the end of the episode.
0: Now that you mention it, it does seem a lot more throwaway than it did.
1: Yeah, I had never thought about that, but totally it, makes nothing sense. Nothing was
0: accomplished other than the introduction of, uh... The Mirage Colloid, which yeah. could easily have been done elsewhere.
1: It's a showcase for the Blitz, and
0: you gotta sell those toys. Yeah, to be fair, The Blitz is cool, but I already thought it was cool before this episode.
2: The uh, Blitz? I'm actually not super fond of The Blitz, but we'll save
1: ranking it for a few minutes. I think uh, The Blitz is actually misnamed. I think The Blitz should have been named something else, but I'm not sure what you would call it. The Strike. Just general impressions on the episode. The fact that both
2: of you guys didn't feel it was disposable the first time probably means it's a fine episode. It's just it was, not the one
1: that stands out in hindsight. It was
0: enjoyable, but it didn't really actually seem to move the plot forward at all. You could have not had that and the plot would have been the same.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, my favorite part of the episode was Moose plan to get out of the like, fancy room that they got stuck in. Doesn't make it a great episode.
0: Also, Zero Rao.
2: Zero Athern.
1: Yeah. It doesn't move the plot forward. I
2: don't think it moves any of the characters forward. We get a little of the interaction between Nickel, Diarca, and Izak. But without Ather, it feels a little empty.
0: You got the nice scene with Moo, Ramius, and... Natarl? Yes, thank you. That was amusing, if nothing else. Not necessary, but amusing.
2: All right. So, as I was saying earlier, let's add a mobile suit to our list of mobile suit rankings. And let's add the Blitz, since this was its showcase episode. Like I said, I'm not actually super fond of the Blitz. Maybe it's that I don't like the Epion,
0: and it's very visually similar. I love the Epion. And
2: I really like the Death Scythe, (laughs) and this has the Death Scythe's gimmick, but not the cool scythe.
0: But it's got the cool shield that's also a rocket launcher for some reason.
2: That is the thing. All of its weapons are on the shield, and I didn't notice that the first time I watched the
1: series, but I
2: think that's really cool. It's a shield. It's got a beam rifle in there, a kind of extra-long beam saber that's a little on the thick end, and a missile launcher.
1: The only problem with having all the weapons on the one arm means that it can suffer as from As soon as Kira inevitably blows side. it off. Well, without, without having anything on that other arm. It's means kind of a waste. The, it, the grappling well, just, hook might be on the other arm. Actually. I think it is, but the problem there is if you end up in a situation like a Mexican standoff,
0: that leaves you don't a, really have a lot of room for error. Theoretically, that leaves it modular so that you could have it hold something in the other hand, but I'm assuming that never happens. Well, I guess handheld weapons are a big thing in this. And there's nothing saying that it couldn't use anything made for the sword for, for the strike. Actually, can I just point out really quick how handheld weapons are a terrible idea for giant spacesuits because as soon as you ever lose your grip, it's going flying off into the vacuum of space. Presumably they can be tethered. Well, my argument is that everything should be integrated or at least have like some sort of like actual attachment so like it magnetically grips. like the giant ass sword that the strike uses should probably be like magnetically attached to the arm. but,
2: but modularity.
0: Yeah, but magnets.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How do you know it's not magnetically?
0: Yeah, it might be actually, and that would actually solve a lot of my concerns if the hands had giant magnets in them. Although you could use that to do a lot of other cool stuff too.
2: All right, so like I said, I'm not super fond of the Blitz, but it fought the Sword Strike this episode, so let's compare it to that. Do we think it's cooler than the Sword Strike and its giant sword? I don't. I I like like giant
0: swords. (laughs) Yeah, clearly I'm outvoted here, but I really like the Blitz's design, and it can cloak, and it's black. The only thing
1: it would need to be, like, your perfect Gundam is a laser designator for your nukes.
0: <laughs> Who's to say it doesn't have one? Maybe they just don't have nukes.
2: So, the let's compare it to the Duel, the other Gundam in that line.
0: It is kind of cooler than the Duel. The Duel is pretty
2: generic. I like the Gundam, though, and the Duel has all the Gundam stuff. And I like the Duel's
1: color scheme a little more.
0: I like the Blitz more than the Duel, personally. say I know I was arguing for the Blitz above the Sword Strike, but I do actually like the Duel fairly well. And I do like the color scheme. Although I'm going to have to give it to the Blitz because cloaking is cool. The arm attachment is cool. I love the shape of it. I'm a big fan of the Epion, which is kind of my problem there. The Epion also has the short stubby beam saber on the thick side.
2: True. All right. So then how do we think it compares to the Mobius Zero? Funnels, man. I like funnels so much.
0: Also, if we're including pilots in the ranking... We shouldn't, because they will
2: switch from time to time. (laughs) This is entirely mech design. Or else the Mobius Zero would be on top and nothing would (laughs) surpass it until Moo got a new cool suit. A newer ride.
0: (laughs) I actually prefer it to the Mobius. While I do like funnels.
1: I do like me some funnels, but cloaking, man. There's just so much you can do with that. Also, the
0: the design of the Mobius itself is kind of lackluster. It reminds me a lot of an A-10. It's ugly as sin, but it is extremely effective. A-10? Warthog?
1: Thunderbolt? It's an airplane. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the Blitz
2: Gundam will go above the Mobius Zero and below the Sword Strike. If you'd like to see the full list, you can find it on our website, www.lasttimeonvideogames.com, where you can check out that list, our old episodes, as well as our other podcast, Last Time on Video Games, where we play old video games and talk about them. If you want to email us, you can do so at gundam at lasttimeonvideogames.com, or you can just leave a comment on our website. I hope you guys will join us next week when we'll see Episode 7, a slightly more important episode, a slow one, but one that gives us a lot of background. Episode 7, The Scar of Space. Hope to see you guys there. Bye.